This episode of AHLA Speaking of Health Law is brought to you by AHLA members and donors like you. For more information, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org. Welcome everyone to today's AHLA podcast where we will be talking about compliant ways that healthcare organizations can analyze uh, financial data, perform a financial analysis of, of, of referrals and other types of financial information. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by the American Health Law Association's Fraud and Abuse Practice Group. Uh, I currently chair the practice group and our mission is to help our members stay informed about healthcare fraud and abuse and compliance issues. Our vice chairs are doing a great job of developing webinars, publications, and other content to educate our members on important compliance developments and enforcement trends in the healthcare industry. Uh, Today's question uh, is a question that comes up often in my practice around uh, how healthcare organizations should uh, be approaching uh, financial analysis. What are some of the risks tied to analyzing that financial, uh, financial data Um, with referring physicians and other referral sources? You know, what are the types of financial information that can be analyzed and how might controls be put in place to help uh, mitigate risk? Um, And today I have Stacey Bratcher and Kelsey Jernigan with me on on this podcast to talk through some of the issues. Uh, Stacey and Kelsey, can you introduce yourselves? Thanks, Joe. I'm Stacey Bratcher. I'm Vice President and General Counsel of Cottage Health. Cottage Health is uh, the largest uh, healthcare provider in the Central Coast of California. Um, We're a nonprofit health system dedicated to serving uh, the community in Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, and Ventura counties. Thanks, Stacey. This is Kelsey Jernigan. I am a partner at Kano Gates RTP office. Um, I primarily counsel healthcare entities, hospitals, and health systems on fraud and abuse matters. So a large part of my day is spent uh, analyzing Stark and anti-kickback statute matters. Great. Uh, And again, thanks to both of you for being on uh, today's podcast. Um, One of the reasons we are having Stacey and Kelsey on this podcast is they, they did author a bulletin um, uh, under the, the HLA's Fraud and Abuse Practice Group back in December 6th of 2022. Um, and it, it's a very straightforward uh, discussion of this issue um, of, of how to perform downstream financial analysis. It lays out some best practices um, around uh, performing and tracking potentially referrals. Um, if you're going to do an analysis, some considerations um, and um, a, the importance of Stark and kickback compliance um, in this area and, and around transaction due diligence. And so I really encourage anyone listening in to find that, um, that article. It, it's, it's excellent. And again, it's, it's, it's really straight to the point. Um, as I framed up earlier, uh, this financial analysis topic comes up often. Uh, healthcare organizations uh, are as they operate their organizations, do have to have some aspect of an understanding of, of their, their financial performance. Um, and where this can present risks is um, if, if you're entering into a transaction, you're trying to understand the overall financial impact. If that starts to get close to compensation decisions, I would say it, it presents um, a heightened risk. And that's 
the, the heightened risk would be under the Stark law and the anti-kickback statute. And that's because under the anti-kickback statute in particular, um, risk emerges under anti-kickback if the arrangement is entered into with an intent to uh, induce referrals. And so if a healthcare organization is analyzing uh, financial data, um, it is a facts and circumstances analysis in many, many instances. If, if the, the, the background um, includes a, an examination of this downstream referral data, that may um, increase the potential for anti-kickback risk. Uh, the Stark Law is a strict liability statute, but it has a couple of areas that may interact with, with financial analysis. Um, uh, two areas that come to mind for me is uh, one, the volume or value standard under the Stark Law, a financial arrangement cannot include a physician's referrals of designated health services, DHS, as a variable. Um, that, that standard has historically been, you can't take into account the volume or value of referrals. And so uh, historically, as Stark has been enforced, there have been arguments made that um, conduct may trigger the volume and value standard. Now, that being said, the most recent adjustments and changes to Stark that went into effect in 2021 tighten that standard to say that um, a, a physician's compensation model can't include referrals of DHS as a variable. Um, and so, I mean, as you talk about doing downstream financial analysis, I think it becomes harder to say just doing this analysis is including DHS referrals as a variable, but that, that's the issue. Um, the other area that comes to mind with respect to downstream financial analysis is the uh, definition of commercial reasonableness. Um, you know, the, the definition of commercial reasonableness now says an arrangement has to be sensible considering the characteristics of the parties. Um, at the end, there's a sentence that says an arrangement may still be commercially reasonable, even if it does not generate a profit. Um, but but that that th this type of financial analysis could drift into um, sort of being part of the uh, commercial reasonableness analysis. And so that you know, at a high level is just highlighting where the risk may be here. And that's why organizations develop controls around financial analysis and why we see uh, healthcare organizations trying to, in some ways, build um, controls around the negotiation and development of compensation terms and making sure that's separate from uh, financial projections data, making sure downstream data is not included as a variable in a physician's compensation, uh, trying to aggregate where possible or de-identify and use broader benchmark data, uh, mm -hmm. using financial data um, and, and trying to limit that usage and, and limit who has access to it, using independent valuations, um, making sure if practical individuals involved in establishing compensation don't have access to that data, um, making sure the record is reflecting the non-referral-based rationale to arrangements as well. Those are just a couple of com that come to mind here. Um, and I don't want to, uh, you know, kind of belabor this, but that just shows you where the risk is. I think organizations have to perform financial analysis, but they want to make sure they're not run, uh, going kind of, kind of headway into the risk areas. And that's why we have Stacy and Kelsey on. Uh, they deal with this in their um, in their in-house and, and outside council roles, and, and now we're going to get to hear some of their perspectives. So I think we'll just kind of start high level. You know, Stacy, in your role as in-house counsel, how does this come up, and, and how do you uh, how do you think about it and, and deal with it in your day to day? Well, first, Joe, thanks for setting the table. I think um, every time I talk with you or Kelsey, um, I'm just reminded as why we need 
really high quality um, external fraud and abuse counsel to um, be available to be that sounding board and, and help us navigate these issues. Um, I think that this comes, I, I haven't actually been in a, in a situation, uh, a per perspective deal where it hasn't come up. Um, I think, uh, especially with nonprofit organizations where you have um, board members who are not from the healthcare um, industry, um, you do the annual training for them, the compliance training, but I think that there's sometimes a disconnect between, you know, what you hear on uh, compliance training versus, you know, in real, real life. And I'm always uh, reminded of a quote from Jim Sheehan, who was uh, AG, uh, deputy AG, I think in New York, saw him at a lot of HLA conferences, and he would always say, if it makes business sense, it's probably illegal in healthcare. And I use that uh, quite a bit uh, in when I'm presenting deals or talking with our board members or others about um, prospective deals. Um, so it comes up a lot, uh, especially with nonprofits. Um, and it's very widely uh, publicized these days that nonprofits and most health systems are working with razor thin margins. M many are losing money. And so rightly, the governance infrastructure wants to know uh, why are we going to make this investment um, when we have limited resources? Um, is that a good investment? Is it sensible? Is it the right use of nonprofit resources? So um, I've, I've, like I said, it, 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 it's the rare circumstance where the question isn't asked, um, but I'm very grateful to have resources like you and Kelsey that can help uh, give me some, uh, some tools in the toolbox to help right the ship when those questions come up. Great. Thanks, Stacey. Really appreciate that. Um, and Kelsey, you know, similarly, how does this come up in your practice? You know, I, I know you do outside counsel work, you support clients in this space. Um, you know, when does it come up and, and how do you deal with it? Absolutely. So I think it comes up in a variety of ways. You know, one example, and as we talk about acquisitions, you know, hospital systems acquiring other hospital systems or individual physician practices. And it's just in the diligence process. And, you know, as we're assisting a client look at the target, you know, entities, practices in terms of physician compensation, physician recruitment, and we're reviewing those documents, we have seen, you know, certain situations where the target hospital was tracking margin and they were assessing downstream revenue. Um, and then, you know, it just raises the questions of that, that we've talked about, have they implemented safeguards? How you know far is the circle of individuals at the hospital that has access to that data? Has it impacted any of the physician compensation conversations and decisions? And so, you know, I think you see a glimpse of it when you're conducting diligence um, into other entities. But it, it also comes up just on a day-to-day -day basis as we assist hospitals and health systems with physician contracting. And, you know, communicating with hospitals about their contracting processes, um, employing a new physician, recruiting a new physician. And we just get a glimpse into the teams at each hospital that are making those decisions, who is deciding physician compensation, um, and making sure that they're aware and educated and trained about the various regulatory issues that impact that compensation decision process. 
Thanks, uh, Kelsey, and, and thanks, Stacy, as well. You know, it, I, this comes up, in, like I said at the beginning, in my practice. You know, it's 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 interesting. You know, when we look at developing arrangements, so much of our tools seem very kind of uh, methodical. You know, you're talking about trying to meet a stark exception, trying to meet an anti-kickback safe or safe harbor, determining and documenting the big three: fair market value, commercial reasonableness, and the volume or value standard. But this 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 sort of also drifts into something beyond the four squares of the conduct, kind of the behavior, the the actions, the approaches that are taken as a transaction is is um, examined. And so it, the, some sometimes you have to sort of set those tools to the side and just look at the facts and circumstances and see you know what what might conduct here open you up to. So um, again, it, it comes up. Uh, often, um, I wanted to go back to the the article a bit, and then actually to your experiences um, uh, again. And you've already hit on this somewhat, but from your article or from your practices, uh, start with Kelsey. What are some of the best practices that you think healthcare organizations can follow to to manage risk when performing a financial analysis? So I think, you know, as a starting point, best practice, the guidance from the government is do not track contribution margin, do not track downstream referrals, you know, impact reports. We've seen a lot of different terminology in the various government settlements that have pointed to, you know, a hospital's use of um, these types of financial analysis Um to the extent that that's not practical, and and Stacy can certainly speak to from an in-house operational perspective, as she mentioned, you know, leadership is asking these questions. Um, to the extent that's not practical to to outright not perform these metrics, I think the key from our guidance is to implement operational structures so that any information that's generated in these financial metrics is isolated and siloed to an identified group of people and make sure that there are firewalls in place between that small group of people and particularly anybody at the institution that has any decision-making capacity in terms of physician compensation, physician acquisitions. Um, That strict operational firewall can help separate any information from you know, downstream revenues to, you know, impacting at all physician compensation decisions. So that's more of a structure, you know, making sure that that structure is in place on the front end so that there is no information shared. Um, And then, you know, from a process perspective, when you're looking at physician compensation and contracting, as you mentioned, Joe, making sure that you're absolutely confident on fair market value, getting a third-party valuation to support compensation decisions, um, applying compensation on a uniform basis. You know, ideally you would have a physician comp plan that is uniform across all physicians in that specialty. Um, Scrutinizing compensation decisions when there's an in-market acquisition. The government has, you know, looked cautiously upon huge jumps in compensation for a physician who's just staying in the same market, but joining a hospital versus being in in private practice or switching their employment. And, you know, when there is that big jump, the question is often why. So I think, you know, just making sure you have strong processes in place to comply with the requirements of 
the stark exceptions and the kickback safe harbors um, and making sure they're all being applied uniformly and without any communication from the small team who may have access to that downstream referral information. Thanks, Kelsey. Appreciate that. Um, you know, Stacy, from your from your uh, vantage point, do you have you have thoughts on on best practices in this space or ways to to mitigate risk? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're as nonprofits, we're lucky um, that we are um, we do a conduct a community health needs assessment every three years, so that gives us a really good. Um, overview of what the needs of the community are um, around uh, the different disease states. Um, and I always counsel um, board and leadership to look to that to show um, the mission reason or the, the community need reason why we're pursuing a particular uh, project. Um, I think that really goes a long way. And, and I will tell you here at Cottage Health, it's it's actually legit. Like this is, we really are here for the community. So um, it's not a hard sell. Um, the, the second thing that um, I've, I, one thing, I, a strategy I've done, because it is important, I think, for um, leadership, uh, especially I, I had this kind of pressure from CFOs. They want to know where the money's spent. They want to know you know, they're authorizing, you know, X millions of dollars to do a deal or whatever. They want to know what you're using that money for. Um, and as Kelsey and, and, and you have laid out, we really want to have some hygiene around who gets that, that information. So one strategy I've used is to set, uh, set up a physician compensation committee um, that includes those folks that uh, you would want to have uh, walled off from kind of the, uh, the financial metrics of a particular deal and give them input over the structure and methodology of physician compensation, uh, typically from a at even a specialty level, so that they have input, um, they are aware of, you know, what it costs to recruit doctors. I don't think any of us uh, I think everyone is aware that there's a major shortage of, of physicians throughout the country. And so um, those, uh, and there's a very competitive environment in terms of recruiting. So it is helpful for them to see that. Um, and then third, I think you both touched on this. This is, you know, kind of health law 101 is to have that independent valuation um, and, and picking uh, a firm that is going to be um, going to stand up because I always say that the valuation is really an insurance policy. You want you want a firm that will be there to testify if, or be part of a, an investigation or, or whatever, if that should come up. And so that there are people that are going to stand behind the work that they do, and they're not just going to agree with whatever number you put out, your business team puts out. So those are some, uh, some concrete things um, that I've done. Great. Thanks to two of you. The, the, those are, are great uh, strategies to help mitigate risk. Um, I, I would add, and, and I think I'm reiterating some of what the two of you said already, but um, I think appropriate personnel having education on this issue is can be very helpful just so they understand why um, what's in PowerPoints and what's in letters and what's in term sheets is, is very important. That, that immediately becomes 
a part of the record and um, at least giving your business people some exposure to this risk area may make that more likely that they bring that PowerPoint to legal or compliance or or involve you in the process because you, you know the, it, it's that saying you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, it, once it's in the record, it's in the record. So um, also really continuing in, in my mind, if there's going to be financial analysis, it, it goes to whether the deal makes sense, but to the extent it helps um, solve operational needs, I think it, it, it's even stronger. Like if, if the, the analysis is needed in order to ensure that facilities, equipment, and other capital needs can be met, um, that you have the appropriate nursing and staffing in place and supplies, um, it, that it's part of a clinical strategy related to community need. I, and as Stacy touched on that in particular, or it's getting at quality and patient sa safety. I think it's actually in helping um, in, enhance the the record. So the extent that the record reflects that this is about quality access to care strategy and operational planning, I think even better. And also that that allows your whole team to get behind the 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 clinical aspect or the strategy um, around whatever model you're developing and why that's enhancing care and advancing some non-referral based rationale is is definitely a better the, the best record you can help create as part of this. Um, Stacy and Kelsey, thank you so much for your time today. Um, thanks to all of you that tuned into the podcast. Uh, please tune into our other podcast. We recently uh, recorded a session on the super value case, um, a false claims act settlement trend uh, update. Um, we're, and I think this today has is, is just been well, 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 this will be well received as well. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn um, or uh, via email. Um, if, if you'd like to be on a future episode or if you have an idea that you think we should cover or if you just want to get involved in AHLA, we'll find a way to get you into the mix. So thanks again, uh, uh, Stacy and, and Kelsey, and, and have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.